Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. There's a bunch of stuff to talk about, so I'm just going to jump right in. First up, Duden has just teased an optical drive emulator for the FM Towns PC. Now, I'll be honest from the start, I didn't even know this existed. I knew there was an FM Towns Marty, which is a video game console, and I believe this is a PC that was the predecessor to that, and this optical drive emulator will allow you to play software on that PC just over some kind of SD card. So uh, my apologies for zero knowledge of this stuff. Um, Classic PCs, uh, at least the knowledge of that, is stuff that I'm limited to what I grew up with, uh, which certainly wasn't much that I had access to back then. So, um, you know, I could obviously get the concepts, but it does seem that um, Duden's paying attention to this. I think he had that and the FM Towns Marty one. Um, I don't really know if there's going to be any other weird way of selling this. I think he requi- uh, required people to give their serial numbers of their console for the other one to prevent scalping. Uh, it was something ridiculous like that. So, you know, the actual work that Dunin does, I'm a big fan of. It's just the practices of selling and customer service always leave me with a bad taste in my mouth. So if you have an FM Towns PC, uh, this definitely seems like something you might want to be checking out, um, see if it's something you could purchase. Uh, and if there's any kind of cool tidbits or something that I really should know about this, uh, and you have time to, please leave messages in the comments because I'd really kind of like to learn more about stuff like this, you know, wherever it's relevant. And the Wikipedia stuff you find is generally just the overviews, which is great and all, but I always value people's experiences and a lot of the stuff people teach me in the comments a lot more than just basic info. So uh, if you have an FM Towns PC, definitely check out this post. Um, And if not, I guess it's just another pretty cool ODE that's uh, now popping up for a new device. The Sega Forever channel announced last week that they're expanding their social media networks to basically cover all Sega Retro. So everything from the Genesis Mini to the still doing the Sega Forever stuff to the Genesis Classics. And the social media side of things is a little bit different from the actual products that you're seeing. So they do things like interviews with the original developers, release of different artwork and stuff like that. Um, And uh, I was able to talk to one of the people behind it, and I got the impression that they're really trying trying to do these games justice. So it's not just a like a quick cash grab of like, hey, let's throw Sonic on Twitter and people will click on it. Um, They seem to be really taking the time and effort to celebrate these things. And I, of course, being as the obnoxious person that you all know, wanted to push for more uh, celebration of real hardware. Not that I would expect your average modern gamer to go out and do all the crazy things we do to get your Genesis working on a flat screen just to play a game for 15 minutes. But I do think it's important to celebrate how we got to the point of a Genesis Mini. And of course, course, you know, I always say that there are people that start out with buying something like a the Genesis Classics or a Genesis Mini just to get that blast of nostalgia. But once they get here, they're like, oh, you know what? This is a little more important to me than 
than just a remembrance from my past. This is something I actually really enjoy doing. Um, and that would lead people down the roads of the more crazier options, like the analog box, of course, the Mr. Project and all that stuff, or just, you know, crazy people like us that take the time to, to recap, repair, and triple bypass a Genesis and stick it through an OSSC to get some pretty awesome original cartridge use on original hardware. So, uh, you know, hopefully they'll start to expand a little bit more than that. I did like a lot of what they did uh, what they've done so far, they did like little pop-up videos about certain games, which, you know, if you grew up during that era, you might not appreciate it as much as somebody who grew up right after it, or I guess maybe even right before it, who kind of knows the story, but not some of the little tid- tidbits and tips and stuff like that. So um, I'm interested to see where they take this. Uh, I'd love to be a part of any of it, too. Uh, and basically just celebrating older games for what they really are, the same way you would celebrate anything that's been around for a while. Like, you wouldn't call like a golfer a vintage sports enthusiast it's just golf regardless of of when it's been invented and i really think that games are kind of like that too you know an awesome game will always be an awesome game especially if it's presented properly so kudos to sega forever for expanding their social channel and hopefully we'll see cool things this year some new updates were posted to the PlayStation 1 digital project. Uh, Dan, I guess, had posted a few things on his Twitter feed that I can't really remember if the info was out there before, but it certainly wasn't all combined in one place. Um, anybody that's interested in the project, definitely check out the post for the updates. But basically, they confirmed that there will be an integrated PSNE mod chip in there, which will work on most of the um, models that it's compatible with. Dan confirmed that only the SCPH 55 and 70 series are going to be currently supported and could possibly be the only consoles ever supported by the PS1 Digital, which, in my opinion, those consoles are still so inexpensive, that's totally fine. I certainly wouldn't mind having to purchase another one. Um, Also, this project requires that you remove the serial port in order to mount the HDMI connector. And I think people were confused about that at first. There's two ports on the back of the original PlayStation. One of them is used by the SIO project, the optical drive emulator. Uh, And the other one, I think, was really only used for a link cable for multiplayer support. So because that's the one that's going to be removed, not the one for the PS. SIO, I, uh, that they're aiming to do some kind of wireless serial functionality to have that multiplayer feature done wirelessly, which is probably cooler anyway. So, um, also they're upgrading the uh, the chip in it from a Max 10 to a Cyclone 10, and I believe they did this for heat reasons, but it also allows for some more advanced deinterlacing for the 480i stuff. So overall, the project seems to be moving along pretty nicely. Uh, there's no release date or pr- date or price or anything like that yet, but we'll keep everybody updated, and I'm certainly excited to try it out. It looks like a true reverse engineering of one of the PC Engine chips has just started. Vertec had decapped the HUC6270 and sent it to John McMaster to photograph and image it under a microscope, which means that things like the PC Engine core for the Mister uh, could now be made even more accurate if this chip is fully reverse engineered. And this is something that I think might be the future of the Mr. Project, because if development continues and more people join, eventually we're, we're going to get a ton of arcade boards and you know every console possible running on Mr. and FPGA. But I think striving for perfection and learning more about the electronics is stuff that both us and future generations could really take advantage of, because you 
you know, it doesn't need to be a specific time period of something to enjoy a reverse engineering process to learn and use those skills for other things. So my hopes is that when FPGAs start to grow and more people start to adopt this as a way to do things, um, the the kids that are coming out of this and people that are really interested in it will take that knowledge and, and kind of practice with things like the Mister and do stuff like decap one of the main chips in a PC engine and be able to reverse engineer that to apply even more perfection to an existing core. And that's really what I'd love to see. You know, I'd love to see as much stuff get ported over to Mr. as quickly as possible, just because it's a zero lag solution that could run on analog and digital displays. So right off the bat, it would be an easier and more, um, a more accurate, I guess, solution than many software emulation choices, not all, of course, uh, and then kind of go back and tweak it to make it more perfect. That way, at the very least, um, if you do get some glitches or something or sound inaccuracies, you don't have to worry about lag killing your game or anything like that or having to jump through hoops to get it to work on an RGB monitor or something. So while that's a lot of my opinions mixed in there, uh, I do really think that continuing to strive for perfection is something that everybody benefits from. Of course, the users do, but also anybody working on these projects, you know, it's anything this complicated and this in-depth, once you accomplish this stuff, all you do is end up learning for, from that and teaching other people. So giant thank you to Furtech, to John McMaster, and of course, as always, to the entire Mr. Team, because I, I just think this is a project that someday might be equal to MAME in its importance. And uh, if more stuff like this happens, 20 years from now, it might surpass MAME. Who knows? No, no disrespect to MAME, of course. I think, you know, my old drummer analogy, every time, you know, a band gets a new drummer and they, you know, they're interviewed, somebody says, oh, how do you think your new drummer's doing? And they go, oh, they're great. There's always a bunch of people in the comments that are like, oh, so, you know, that means your old drummer sucks then? And it's like, that's not what I'm saying. I love MAME. I'm going to use it for the rest of my life probably, but um, true reverse engineering of this stuff has the potential to go even farther. So while I'm a fan of all of this stuff, uh, I really hope someday, many, many years from now, the whole focus is on whatever Mr. Uh, ends up evolving into. Dan, a.k.a. Citrus3000PSI, has come up with a pretty interesting solution for Model 101 GameCubes, which are the ones without the digital port. So his solution, which at the moment there's no price or release date, or he doesn't even know if he's going to be selling them, it might just be an open source thing. But the whole purpose of this is for people to take one of the GameCubes that doesn't have a digital port, remove the analog port, and use the things that he's created to essentially add a digital port in its place. Um, you have two choices when you do it. You could just have the digital port, which makes it a no-cut mod and which would work perfect with things like the Carby. So you just plug in your HDMI cable and you're good. Um, if you're doing this to use the original component cables, or I guess any GameCube component cables, you're going to have to drill a hole and add a 3.5 millimeter jack that gets you left and right audio as well as composite video, which is just a bonus, I guess. Um, and I think this is pretty awesome, and I've been asking for a more solid choice for the original GameCubes. And this does bring up kind of an interesting debate, I guess. Um, if you're looking for a digital solution and longevity, this is seems to be the best solution because you just replace the analog port with the digital one, and now any digital port solution that comes out for the GameCube forever, you just plug it in and use it like a plug-and-play device. But for the short term... Um, 
I would have thought that most people would have preferred, if you're going to have to mod the insides anyway, just a solution that replaces the analog port with an HDMI port, or maybe an HDMI port and a 3.5 millimeter jack for people that still want composite video and that, but you could probably fit them both in the same spot, still making it a no-cut mod. So, um, you know, all of these things are open source. The GC Video Project's open source. So uh, if anybody out there is a developer and agrees with me, some kind of internal HDMI solution for the GameCube would be pretty cool. But I, I'm really appreciative of the time Dan put into this because, like I said, the longevity side, right? Who knows, 20 years from now, somebody might make an 8K version of a, a digital port adapter. And if you had an internal GC Video solution, that would be obsolete. So doing something like what Dan did would actually actually make sure that your console is compatible with pretty much whatever comes out in the future. Uh, but like I always say, which might be so annoying to longtime listeners, more choices is never a bad thing. So thanks very much, Dan. And uh, uh, hopefully the project will be available in some way soon, whether it's just open source or whether somebody's going to sell it. There's now a pretty neat patch available for the PC Engine version of Ninja Gaiden. Apparently, the PC Engine version had an English translation already built in. You just had to hold 1, 2, and select at the main menu in order to access this. So someone was able to make a patch that just doesn't require it. It just always boots in the English mode. So uh, it's one of these patches that I really appreciate because you're still getting the original game. It's just making it a little bit easier to access the English mode of it. Um, and this game, I believe, is one that's known to be one of the better versions of the game. Certainly better than the NES version, I believe. So, um, you know, I, I always love neat little patches like this. This, uh, any kind of language translation, I'm always really happy about. Uh, but this is kind of cool because it's taking translation that was already built into that and then just kind of making it easier to access. So any anybody who could run PC Engine ROMs and likes Ninja Gaiden and wants it in English, definitely use this one. Here's kind of an interesting one. Someone discovered that there may be a bug in the original Super Mario Brothers for the NES. The enemy that flies in the cloud and shoots the spiny characters at you has always kind of just dropped them over the side. And after analyzing the code, it was speculated that the way that these things are fired out at you should have been at a diagonal angle and different based on the speed that Mario was running. Um, to kind of add something interesting to this, the later version that was ported over to the Game Boy also followed the original behavior of the cartridge of the original NES version. So it's kind of um, kind of a, a neat speculation to wonder, was this a bug or was this actually a design choice? And then what happened when the next port came out for it? Uh, did they know that it was a bug but just said, hey, let's keep it true to the original? Or was that always the way it was meant to be? But either way, it's a pretty neat piece of history. And uh, if you'd like to patch Super Mario Brothers in order to try that out, the patch is now available. The previously unreleased Dreamcast port of Heroes of Might and Magic 3 was just dumped and released to the public. Um, this was a game that was available on computers, I think PC, Linux, and Mac in 1999-2000-esque, and a port was started for the Dreamcast, and I don't believe it was ever completed, and it, would, it was not released until now. Um, and the person who owned the prototype disc of it now just released it to the public. Um, and... You know, while I'm very appreciative of all of these unreleased things being archived now and saved, I think they're very cool pieces of history, and I do like how you could back up a piece of software, so even if the original disc eventually rots out, now we have this cool little snapshot of history. I love all of that stuff. I'm just always... 
wondering the scenarios behind all of this. And uh, allow me to explain a bit. And I don't know the details, so I'll talk in more general terms. But a few months ago, somebody said, um, you know, hey, I saw a game that I knew was unreleased sitting at a shelf somewhere in Japan uh, at a game store. I didn't really have the money to pick it up, but I grabbed it because I wanted to dump it for everybody. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, this went to the public. So I'm going to start a GoFundMe campaign to get my money back. Uh, my personal opinion is that is awesome. That's somebody that jumped at a chance. They knew that if they walked away that day, the game probably wouldn't be there. Um, and, you know, who knows who else would get it. So I think that's awesome. And if it was a game that I liked or, or at least something that I felt was important, I would be happy to donate just for the hell of it. Um, and I don't know why there was a GoFundMe for this one. The only things I know is somebody um, somebody originally bought it uh, and then decided to release it only after doing a GoFundMe campaign. And while I certainly don't want to talk about this person because I do not know anything about the situation, I just hope the GoFundMe to release a unreleased game doesn't become a thing. Um, I just, you know, I just think it would be very off-putting if there was a bunch of people sitting on unreleased games uh, for their collection because they wanted to feel special that nobody else had it, that now they're going to demand a ransom in order to release it. Once again, I am not talking about this Dreamcast game. I do not know anything about the scenario, and I don't want to paint anybody in the wrong light. I'm just talking as a generalization. I think if people need cash to help release this, uh, these games to the public, that's pretty awesome and very reasonable. However, uh, you know, if there's just people sitting on stockpiles of unreleased games, I just don't want to see one of these pop up once a week just for people trying to score money off of it. And, you know, that's a judgy thing to say. I've certainly been through hard times a few times in my life where I sold stuff I never would, and I probably acted in ways that I never would normally just because I had to pay the rent and put food on the table. So I'm trying not to be judgy about this, but I'm also being honest at how off-putting some of this stuff can be to me. You know, and you also remember that you're talking to somebody that very happily supports a lot of people's Patreons. I love crowdfunding. I love people all chipping in to make something happen. I really think all of these are wonderful as long as they're not used for ransom, I guess. So, uh, you know, the bottom line is we got a game that wasn't released in the Dreamcast and it, that's pretty neat and pretty awesome. I just hope these things continue in a more, uh, continue to be done in a positive way. And this doesn't just start showing up a bunch of weird GoFundMe campaigns. So anyway, rant over. Sorry about that. Modern Vintage Gamer has given us a glimpse into his wizardry. Uh, he just posted a, a brief video showing how he took open source code for the game Heart of Darkness and ported it to the original Xbox. Um, I think that video is probably something anybody with even a small amount of interest would enjoy. But if there's other developers out there, he said he was going to be releasing the full video that showed his entire process step by step with thoughts on the way, uh, thoughts along the way. So I, I think um, while I would probably enjoy the shorter one just because I'm not a programmer, but I do love the stories behind it and the tech behind it. Um, if you're looking to do things like port games to a different platform, uh, I would probably go after the longer video and really sit step by step and understand what it is that he did. So uh, thanks to MVG for continuing to make these very cool things that also teach people how to do stuff and continue on on their own as well. Crix has just posted more information on the upcoming Mega EverDrive Pro, which is essentially like the Mega EverDrive X7, but with Sega CD support, which is pretty awesome. Now, of course, you could already get that with the Mega SD, but as always, I love choices, and uh, I'm certainly interested to see what Crix has to offer. 
Um, he did post a few things in the Twitter thread that confirmed a few questions. So I'll just run through them real quick. Um, price range is going to be about 200. Uh, he's going to try for save state support for SMS, but not sure if it's possible. Um, 32x ROMs will be playable, but you need an actual 32x. Uh, however, there's no confirmation on 32x CD, I believe yet. Of course, I'll try it when it comes out, just for the heck of it. Assuming I could find a working 32X, we're still struggling with that. Um, virtual racing uh, will also be ported over to it as well. So uh, the X7 has support for it, and this one will. Um, and you will need an original BIOS file to run it, which is something that I would assume would be for pretty much every device like this. Um, I think, you know, in a perfect world, uh, everybody would write their own custom BIOS that would be, you know perfectly flawless and compatible with everything but that's unreasonable especially when those things are already out there so you will have to of course find your own roms find the own bio find your own bios file for it uh, but it should just work at that point like a normal everdrive that also plays sega cd games so um, of course i'll get one right when it comes out I'm very excited to try it out and uh, uh, just to see what else Crix has to offer just a quick update for anybody who is looking to get the Retro Fighters Dreamcast controller. With all the delays going on, of course, they have delays as well, as does everybody else, so we should all be pretty understanding of that. Um, but they were nice enough to still post an update. They think they're going to receive the controllers at the end of the month, and then, of course, get them through distribution and out to everybody else. So... Uh, Everything's still moving along, there's just delays, and it's moving on slowly. So while I certainly wouldn't expect anyone to be required to post an update in a time like this, it's very nice that they still took the time to do so and keep everybody that pre-ordered in the loop and, uh, and really just knowing what's going on. So uh, kind of out of all the Retro Fighters controllers, that might be one of the ones I'm most interested to mess with. Um, you know, I don't game a lot on the Dreamcast, but when I do, I actually kind of enjoyed the controller other than the D-pad, of course. So I'm interested to see how this would uh, how this would compare. A bunch of my friends are getting them, so I'll be able to just go over there and try it out myself and give some opinions. So uh, very cool that they were keeping everybody updated. I just posted an interview, podcast, conversation, whatever, with Stika, someone who does reviews of new games on old consoles, uh, documentary-style videos, and basically just somebody I'm a fan of and have been wanting to talk to for a while on camera. Uh, we were originally planning on doing that interview in person in this year's Portland Retro Gaming Expo, but of course with that canceled, we just figured, let's just do this. You know, we've been wanting to do it for a while. So uh, I enjoyed it very much. I just, I'm always nervous that this is not the right place to post this content. I mean, you know, the work that Stika does is very relevant to the stuff that most of us like, so that part's cool, but it is essentially just two friends having beers, if you will, talking about whatever. So, uh, you know, if you're cool with that, definitely, um, you know, check it out. Listen to somebody who has some insight to a lot of cool things. Uh, if it's not your thing, I totally understand as well. Uh, I just, you know, I'm always debating, do, do I start a second channel to put this stuff? And if I did, I would do probably one or two a week, even over Skype, just because I really enjoy doing them. I just want to make sure I'm not like annoying people with content that they might not be here to see. You know, there's people that only watch the weekly roundups, which is cool. There's people that only really care about the higher production stuff. And respectfully, I don't really care. All of that's awesome to me. I'm just glad everybody's here. I just want to 
you know, dealing with things like YouTube's algorithm, you know, how to post the right content in the right place. I just want to make sure I'm getting all of this stuff right because I'll never stop doing it. I just want to do it the right way. Um, and most people listen to these audio only on like iTunes, Google Play or stuff like that. So it's, you know, I, I'm totally cool with the, if it got barely any views on YouTube um, as long as people are enjoying it. But I don't know how that, that affects anything else, you know, algorithm, all that other stuff. So we'll see how these continue in the future in a perfect world it would be only in-person interviews and whatever but uh, also please understand once again that this is a skype interview so all of the awfulness that goes with that applies here um you know the audio quality is not going to match because it's my regular mic versus skype audio there's always a delay um i can't tell you how many times not even just in interviews just in hanging out and talking to friends over skype like we'll we'll all stop talking There'll be like a three second pause and then we'll all start talking again, but we don't realize it for another few seconds. And it's, you know, it kind of, that really bothers me when that happens. Cause I always want people, uh, I always want my guests to feel like a guest, not like somebody who's just there to get, you know, steamrolled over. Uh, and I'm sure people listening might accidentally take it that way as well. But I just, you know, there's something totally different about being there in person with no delays and a, a different feel to things. So just please, if you do want to listen to this, keep in mind that anything that's done over Skype is going to have some weirdness like this. Uh, but anyway, thanks very much to Stika for doing it. Thanks to everybody who listened. And uh, it seems like the people that did listen have been enjoying it so far. So hopefully I'll do some more of these. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks so much to everybody who watches, listens, participates in the comments, if that's your thing. Uh, I always do like hearing people's thoughts and all that, and I, I try to respond to as many as I can. So thanks very much for everybody that's cool about all this stuff. And of course, and especially thanks to all of the supporters who subscribe on Patreon or Floatplane or wherever. And it's really you that's keeping all of these things going. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.